Good evening and welcome to this weekend edition of the Double Double. I am your host, Noah Dakin, and tonight I will be joined by my lovely co-host, Connor Scherzman. Connor, how are you doing tonight? Good, how are you? Pretty awesome. Uh, and tonight we are joined by a special guest, guest, Casey Everett. How are you doing? I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling. Awesome. So I guess we'll get right into things. Uh, Super Bowl talk. Uh, there were a lot of key things that happened in that game that brought the victory to the Buccaneers. And I touched on it a little bit last week's show, but I really think it came down to the way the defenses got going in the first couple of quarters. And obviously we saw the Bucks defense uh, with those push, rush passers like Paul Pierre and Shaquille Barrett uh, and key defensive players like Devin White going off. But uh, what are some of your takes? We'll start with you, Connor. How do you think? Uh, how do you think that game went? And what were some of the key plays that you thought kind of brought victory to the Buccaneers? Yeah, there was a lot there. I mean, Brady won MVP, but if I could choose an MVP, it was Todd Bowles, a coach-winning MVP, because he set up the perfect defense to defend the Chiefs. I mean, he set two high safeties, and on most of the plays, they only sent four to rush Mahomes, um, and it just worked out. They were getting pressure with four guys. It was amazing to see. Devin White, like you said, had an amazing game. He was cruising across the field. I mean, he's so fast and he can cover tight ends. So it's just like a great thing. I mean, he had 12 total tackles. Levante David did his role. He covered some tight ends. He covered um, Kelsey. He had six solo tackles. And then another thing was Shaq Barrett. He didn't have as many tackles, but he pressured the quarterback a lot. Yeah, so of course, some great defensive plays coming out of the Buccaneers, but over to you, Casey, what do you think? What were some of the key plays you saw in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'd have to agree with Connor. I mean, the defense on the Bucks side, Bucks side was just phenomenal. I mean, Mahomes got rushed for a, a Super Bowl record of 30 times he was pressured, and that just shows how good the defense was. If Like Connor was saying, the, for the uh, defensive coordinator to get the MVP, I mean, it makes sense, yeah. And I would give it to, like, the whole defense as a whole. Like, they were just on fire the entire time. Um, Patrick Mahomes couldn't get anything going. He was always off balance making throws. Mind you, he did make incredible throws while he was off balance and hit people in face masks. But, um, yeah, I, the defensive side of the Bucks just made that game really easy for Tom. He could just cruise the whole game and not really worry about it. They said that I think the coach of the Buccaneers said that they want to get up to at least 40 points because that's where they felt safe. They didn't even need to get to that. So they could have scored 10 points and been totally fine because their defense was just that good. And of course, we saw a couple of injury issues on the Chiefs O-line, which could be attributed to uh, why they might have not done as good guarding Mahomes um, that go around. But yeah, just a, a really, a really overall strong defense from the Buccaneers. Um, they showed their stuff, let Tom Brady cruise through on the offensive side uh, to win that Super Bowl. So you and of course we got to talk a little bit about Brady's celebration. I mean, just a, a funny little video. What did you guys think of that? That funny little video of him tossing the Lombardi Trophy from one boat to another. What would you guys? What's your take on that, Casey? Yeah, this guy is a legend, and it's so funny to see him still at the age of forty-three, like having antics like this. It's awesome to see. Like he's now in—I don't know what how many seasons he's been in now, well over twenty probably, but. He's still like having fun with it. And that's so important, like for the game of football, seeing that you can still play at the age of 43, still have fun, still win trophies. And then you can also have a little bit of avocado tequila on the side. So, yeah, it was, it was good to see that. Yeah, funny stuff. What do you think, Connor? I mean, it was great because in New England, I feel like they kind of silenced Brady. You didn't see the side of Brady. I think Belichick didn't want us to see the side of certain players, like the only player I think I ever saw that was like over emotional in New England was Gronk. Besides that, everybody else was quiet and they kept to themselves. So I love seeing this with Brady. Like you said, I think I looked up the Lombardi trophies like seven pounds and he chucked that a decent distance. So that was like, it was impressive. And the fact that the tight end or whatever position that guy is, he caught it and didn't get hurt. I mean, I was pretty amazed. I think people love seeing the side of Brady. I mean, I think he's becoming a much more likable guy as we realize he's not perfect. He's not this perfect guy and seeing, um, you know, kind of drunk. It was, it was, in, it was very good to see. <laughs> kind of drunk. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah he did have uh, help getting off the boat. That was, uh, yeah. 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 It's fun to see a little bit of Gronk maybe scratching off on Brady, seeing him kind of pick up that, that party animal spirit. Um, of course, Gronk doing a couple things that we can't talk about really because he's just inappropriate as always. 
But anyway, sticking to the sport of football, uh, we've got a couple of key players to talk about, um, specifically with the Texans. Uh, now, would you like to get us started on that, Connor? Yeah, so the Texans, uh, where do I even start? They are beyond messed up right now. Uh, they have no direction. Their best player wants to leave. Their second player, best player, just left. So you got to think, what does that leave them with? Um, what do you think of this whole thing, Casey? Where, where do you even start with them? I don't even know where to start with this team. This team is a nightmare. They're having coaching changes all over the place. They traded their best receiver in the offseason last year, DeAndre Hopkins, to the Cardinals. I mean, they're just – they're falling apart at the seams, like, to be quite honest. Losing uh, J.J. Watt, he just was like, I want to leave. They released him. Uh, at least they did that for him uh, so he could actually get on a championship contender team, hopefully. Um, and then Deshaun Watson wanting to leave, obviously, with a hefty package. So this whole team is in shambles right now. I don't know what they're going to do to kind of rebuild. I mean, hopefully they get a lot of first-round picks when they trade Deshaun Watson, and hopefully that helps. But, yeah, they're a mess right now for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, like you said, they <laughs> they really don't have any direction right now. Hopefully they can build their future with some first-round picks from the Deshaun Watson trade. Noah, what are you thinking on this whole situation? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really interesting one to be in. Um, I guess we could start off by talking about J.J. Watt, an absolutely fantastic defensive player. I think he's going into his 10th year in the NFL, I believe, uh, reaching, I think he's around 31 years old now. And for a big guy like him, who, who plays a strong, hard-hitting position for most of his career, you're, you're going to see him start to tear off a bit at the end here. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, how J.J. Watt kind of finds himself in a new team, maybe finds a second wind to start pushing for another playoff position to, for whatever team he goes to. But yeah, obviously with Deshaun Watson uh, all alone, as it seems now, um, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of which team decides to make a, a full push for him. You know, uh, he's coming off a fantastic season, his best yet, threw for 4,800 yards, threw for the most TDs he's ever thrown in 33 and the least interceptions at seven. So, I mean, coming off his, his best year so far, it's going to be really interesting to see what team puts, puts out what they need to to secure him as a player. Because, I mean, let's be honest, after having a season like that, you're not going to go for cheap. So it'll be really interesting to see how Deshaun Watson gets traded here. Yeah, I think definitely he'll be worth a lot of first-round picks. I mean, he is probably, besides Mahomes, the best upcoming quarterback in the league. 25 years old, very young, a lot of potential. Now, going back to J.J. Watt, Casey, do you think it was a good move that they released him? I think for his sake, yes. And that's just because he's been there for a long time. They, I mean, he deserves to kind of have like a fresh start and kind of find a new career path. I mean, he wants to win. I mean, that's why you're in the league. You want to win trophies. And it's going to be interesting to see who, like, not bites the bullet and takes him because he's still a fantastic player. But to see who's going to, like, come out and be like, yeah, we want him. I'm sure he'll have plenty of suitors, but it should be interesting to see where he goes. Yeah, I think you're exactly right with that. Uh, Noah, do you think it was a good move? Uh, yeah, like, like I was saying earlier, I think with those guys that play the really the hard-hitting defensive positions – uh, it's a lot of work on your body. Uh, and over the last couple of seasons, especially, we've seen J.J. Watt deal with some some troublesome injuries. So I think going into this next year, uh, possibly being with his new team, uh, I think it's been going to be super interesting to see how he kind of fits into their organization, whoever it may be, and how he, whether, how he either improves. I, I can't really see him ever uh, not improving a team, to be completely honest with you, because he has such a strong presence along with his knowledge of the game. I think that's going to be a big key thing that's going to carry on from his time at the Houston Texans to his new team. So, yeah, I think, honestly, whoever signs him, I can see it being a really great move, whether that be for him playing or him teaching some of the younger guys uh, the works and how to do stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a good move for whoever decides to sign him. And I think that's a great point because he brings a lot to the table, just not in his play, but his leadership, I think, is the main thing at this point in his career. He is getting older, so he can uh, coach up some of those younger guys, you know, teach them the ropes. Okay, so continuing with the Texans, uh, a lot of people have been blaming it on the coaching, the ownership, and some even Deshaun Watson. Uh, I personally believe that it's the ownership's fault. I mean, they've made some comments um, 
particularly about, you know, Deshaun Watson and former wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. And they've talked about how it's like a shut up and dribble movement. They don't really want them to talk about certain issues. So they kind of just say, hey, stick to the sport, stick to talking about the sport. What are your thoughts on that, Casey? Yeah, and I think it's a great thing that Deshaun Watson is actually speaking up. You see it a lot in the NBA now where players are starting to speak up, where they, they're not happy, they want to be moved. And usually those teams grant their wishes. It's the same thing that happened with James Harden. James Harden gave his all for the Houston Rockets and just happened to be another Houston team, of course. But they, he got his wish and moved to Brooklyn. I mean, you have to have a voice. You're the one playing the game. You're the one making this money. You're trying to make a franchise better. So they should listen to you. And there was a statement in November where Watson was talking about what direction they kind of want to go. And they kind of just blew him off. They wanted to see what general manager candidates would be like available and best suited for the Texans. They just brushed him off. So, I mean, Deshaun Watson's been trying to stay. You can tell he's been upset with everything and how he's been treated. So just based on that, like he has every right to speak up and uh, ask for a trade. I think it's totally like legit that he should do that. Yeah, and I agree with you because he asked that he could be involved in like more decisions regarding the franchise and they basically denied him of that. I mean, coach search, GM search, all of that. He wasn't involved when he asked to be. And some people argue that maybe players shouldn't be as involved, but I disagree with that. I think if you are the face of the franchise, you should have say in where the direction and the future of your organization is going. What are your thoughts on that, Noah? Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's just tough to see a player like Deshaun Watson come into a, a quite a promising looking team back in 2017. Um, he, he led the team to a wild card spot, um, which, which was tough because, I mean, it, it was kind of his first season in, in getting ready and set up as, a, as to be a franchise quarterback. And then coming back in the 2018 season, uh, getting a wild card again with, against the Colts and losing that. I think that was the first real wake-up call uh, to the team that they needed to maybe put a couple more key pieces around uh, Deshaun Watson. Um, and I think it was kind of one of the, again, like Casey said, one of the key things that kind of threw a, a knot in that whole situation was the trading of DeAndre Hawkins, I think. Um, having a couple of years with him, uh, it, it was just weird to see them get rid of such a promising player who meshed so well with Deshaun Watson and then kind of just shipping him away for a, a running back, which they thought they need uh, needed for Deshaun, for Watson. So, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just a tough sight, really. I think one thing that they really mishandled was uh, they, they worried too much about Deshaun in the first place. Uh, this, these first three seasons they had, and they went nine in all of them and were either first or second in the division. So I think they just kind of – they kind of started worrying about it a little bit too much maybe – uh, maybe putting too much pressure themselves on Deshaun and trying to put stuff around him instead of just bettering the overall team. So, yeah, there's just a lot of things that probably contributed to this downfall uh, of the Houston Texans. But it'll be really interesting to see where they go from here if they do end up getting quite a few first-rounders, which they probably should for Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, it's a really, really unknowing time for that future of that team. Yeah, and I agree with you because when they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, I think – I think that was the key thing that turned Watson away. I mean, this last season, yes, he did play his heart off. I mean, he had the most passing yards, so clearly he was still trying to play, but I think he no longer wanted to continue with the franchise after this season and losing DeAndre Hopkins because that was his main target, and they were close friends from what I've heard. Uh, so, Casey, where do you think his top landing spots are? What, what do you think would be the best fit for him? There's a couple of teams where I would like him to go. I think the main team that I would think would be a good fit for him might be the Patriots. I mean, they don't have to sign, sign Cam again. They can just let him go. And, I mean, if they want to get another franchise quarterback, I mean, he's not going to be like Tom Brady status, like not at all. But it's a good start, and they can build around um, him, give up a little bit of the future. They're still not a bad team. They still finished the year on like seven and nine. They weren't terrible. They weren't great. They just had a lot of inconsistencies. So if they can figure that out, get a quarterback in there that can run the offense well, I think they'll be totally fine. So Patriots might be a good landing spot for him. I like that pick because the Patriots, 
I've heard it mentioned on radio shows that their last five drafts have been like some of the worst in the NFL. So they might as well give up the picks if they can't pick talent themselves and just get Deshaun Watson. Noah, what do you think? What are your top landing spots for Deshaun? Yeah, I think I think obviously one of the top ones still has got to be the Miami Dolphins. Uh, coming out of last season with an obviously really strong defense. Um, they, they have the offense, I think, to back it. Uh, I, f- I feel the only issue came with when it came to choosing between their two quarterbacks. They just had a lot of inconsistencies back there with Tua and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was just kind of a toss-up as to which quarterback was going to show up at any given night and throw a, a solid game for the team, which was luckily covered up by the defense for most of the season. So I really feel like if somebody like Deshaun Watson came into that team and kind of showed that there is just one franchise quarterback that can be really reliable for a whole season really does improve a team. And I mean, with their finish, they they're looking at a fantastic season next season if they do so happen to acquire him. So yeah, I think it's, that's one of my most coveted landing spots, I think for Deshaun Watson. I think that's a great pick because like you said, they do need stability at the quarterback position because you can't just bounce back and forth mid season. If they got him for sure, the starter, I mean, he is their franchise. Uh, My pick would be the Denver Broncos. I know it sounds crazy, but ESPN has them at the third best odds for getting Deshaun Watson behind the 49ers and then the New England Patriots actually, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, The Broncos, I mean, they're a very young team. I believe they were the second or third youngest in the NFL. They have young guys like Jerry Judy. Uh, He's received a lot of hate recently, but his route running, I believe, for a rookie is probably the best we've ever seen. Uh, He has other targets like Noah Fant, two Pro Bowl running backs in Phillip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. So I think they can do a lot there. And they do have not as much draft capital as, say, the Jaguars or other teams, but they do have quite a bit they could give up. And I do believe that um, the Broncos will have more influence because they do have Kareem Jackson, who used to be best friends with Deshaun Watson when they played in Houston. So I think that could be a possibility. Uh, Another team I'd have is the 49ers. Um, that offense with Kyle Shanahan, I think he is a mastermind, so I think they could potentially do something there. Okay, continuing into free agency, there are a couple key stars going into free agency, the first being Chris Godwin. Casey, where do you think Chris Godwin could end up going? I think he's going to stay. I think he should stay because, I mean, coming off a of Super Bowl, you want to stay with that team. I mean, even if he has to take a pay cut, I'm, I'm sure he will. Um but it could be interesting to see if he's going to be a selfish kind of player and see how he goes about free agency. But I see him staying with the Bucks. Sure. Yeah, and I, I agree. I actually have that down too. I think he will stay with the Bucks unless they might resign AB. I think if they do resign AB, I think they will get rid of Godwin because just too many wide receivers in the room. So if that were the case, I believe he would go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think with Trevor Lawrence coming in, they need a more sure thing wide receiver. And I potentially think that could be really good for him. Noah, what are your thoughts on Chris Godwin? Yeah, Chris Godwin, obviously coming off a fantastic season. He still missed quite a few games here and there and still ended up with 840 catching yards, which is pretty fantastic. Um, So yeah, I think one good team that would be an interesting fit for Chris Godwin, I'd say, is the Cardinals. Um, I feel like the Cardinals obviously have that humongous threat in DeAndre Hopkins and that, that Kyler Murray connection that he has is, is fantastic. So I feel like if you bring in just one more good receiver like Chris Godwin, um, I, I, and at that point I think it really shouldn't matter who you give up for him because if you've got Chris Godwin and DeAndre Hopkins both running routes and being able to catch balls from Kyler Murray, I mean, it's going to be quite a fantastic thing. So that, that's one that's one quite good spot I thought of for him. And another I thought would might might be the Indianapolis Colts. Um, they they had a fantastic another one of those teams that had a really good defense all of last season, but was maybe lacking a little on the offensive side. Of course, Philip Rivers shown that he can still be quite the good quarterback. Uh, maybe in question after that that ending in the uh, in the playoffs this year. But I think so overall we still have a very strong offensive core. Uh, they've got guys like T.Y. Hilton. And uh, Michael Pittman, who are up and coming wide receivers that are going to be pretty decent. So I think throwing Chris Godwin in there would would prove to not only better those other wide receivers, 
but kind of manage the workload better and they'd have a really good uh, catching core. So those are my two destinations that I think Chris would land perfectly in. And I think both of those are perfect because with the Cardinals, you would have a great second option for Kyler Murray kind of space the field. And with the Colts, I don't know about their quarterback situation right now, but they do have a really good team and they do have a lot of cap space. So I think they could potentially sign him to what he wants. Okay, moving on and going back to the Texans. Where do you guys believe that J.J. Watt would fit well? Casey, you're up first. Ooh, there's a lot of suitors for this guy. I think I think a team that might be interesting is either the Seahawks or Rams. Just to solidify their defense a little bit more, they're already pretty good defensively, but – well, not the Seahawks. The Seahawks are, need help on defense. But, I mean – just to solidify their place as the top of division, their, their division this next year is going to be probably one of the toughest uh, in the in football. So by doing that, I think that might be a good landing spot for him. Yeah, I think that'd be very smart if they did that to help contain all the quarterbacks in that division. I mean, you got Kyler Murray and you got Jimmy G. We don't know yet, but he might stay. Okay, and. Sorry, my bad. Noah, where do you think he will land, J.J. Watt? Oh, yeah. So, honestly, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of brothers playing together in the NFL. We've seen a couple of them, uh, such as the, those, the brothers on the Seahawks uh, and the Pounceys, who just announced dual retirement, which I thought was super awesome. Um, but, yeah, I think T.J. Watt or J.J. Watt joining his brother T.J. Watt would be fantastic on the Steelers. Uh, as we've seen brothers perform before, uh, I think they might have, they've got that, you know, that schoolyard connection that, that when we were six years old playing around in the grass field connection. So I think it'd be a really interesting landing spot for him, but yeah, I think there's just, it's kind of wide open still to be completely honest with you. I think, like I was saying earlier, JJ Watt is going to complement any team he joins. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited just to see where he goes next season, whether it be wherever. Like you, I also had the Steelers down as my first location for J.J. Watt. I think him joining T.J. would be really awesome. And I think he'd also be willing to sign for a little less if he was playing with his brother just because – so you can say he played with his brother. I think that pass rush would be absolutely insane. You have him coming from both ends. I think you – I mean, you can't beat that, honestly. As a fan, as a Steelers fan, you could just get a Watt jersey and it works. <laughs> it just continues the legacy. Okay, the next person we have is Jimmy G with the 49ers. Will he stay or will he go, Casey? I think it all depends on what happens with the whole Deshaun Watson thing. I mean, there is a report saying that he they won't do anything with Jimmy, that they'll have him be their starting quarterback on a week one. There's a lot of reports saying that he won't. So we'll just have to see what happens with the whole Deshaun Watson thing. I think that will inevitably, inevitably be the like the thing that, breaks that whole thing apart if Deshaun does go to the 49ers Jimmy's obviously not staying but we'll just have to wait and see on that yeah like you said if the 49ers do get Deshaun Watson I mean Jimmy G is very much gone he might go to the Patriots I would like to see that um them going back together another thing Trey Lance out of the draft from NDSU I mean he's played one season in a smaller division but Scouts are uh, sure high on him, and he's very athletic, so that could be a possibility for the 49ers. Noah, who do you think will get Jimmy G, or do you think he will stay? Yeah, I think Casey pretty much nailed the hammer on the or nailed the nail on the head there. Uh, it's really going to come down to whether Deshaun Watson ends up going to the 49ers, um, and that's my only situation. I would see him going anywhere. Uh, I think if it's anyone but Deshaun Watson, it's going to be Jimmy G. So. I really am. I'm stood strong with Jimmy G staying at the 49ers for the next seasons. Yeah, and I think that wouldn't be terrible because he has made it work there. I mean, he did go to a Super Bowl. I mean, he isn't the, in my opinion, he's not the best of quarterbacks, but he can suffice. He is, he can get a team to the playoffs and the defense can carry from there. All right, going on in free agency. What are your guys' thoughts on Von Miller? Casey, you're up first. This is an interesting one. Um, personally, I think he should go to an upcoming team. And I think the Cleveland Browns would be an ideal spot for him. Their upcoming team made the playoffs this year, and they're just a couple pieces away from being a true threat. So I think him going to that team might may be the difference maker. He's kind of a personality. We know this. But I think that it would benefit their team. Him going yeah, I agree with you. Um, Everything, there's been a lot of news surrounding him lately. We're not sure what of it, what is true. Uh, 
some allegations coming from his ex-girlfriend. So that's interesting there to see if the Broncos will in fact um, void his contract or not sign him to the rest of his deal. Um, Noah, what is your thought on this whole Von Miller situation? Yeah, Von Miller, obviously a fantastic player, especially when he was in his prime. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if he does go anywhere. Um, I think a very real possibility is that he may just retire. Um, obviously going through a couple of issues, uh, a lot of injury issues, especially, um, I think kind of contributes to it kind of over a while. I feel like it, it kind of breaks down the soul and the spirit of playing football. Um, especially in some of these guys, you, you can just see it sometimes, especially after injuries, they just don't come back the same nearly at all. So if it's not the Broncos, I, I really can't see anyone being too hot on signing Von Miller. And it might just end up being just kind of a, a shutoff situation where he just is finished there and that's it. But I, I'm hopeful to see him go somewhere else. I like that idea of the Browns. Uh, that would be a really interesting team to see him on. Um, but yeah, other than, the, other than the Broncos and the Browns, it's, it's tough to see where he might go. Yeah, and I have heard that Miller has stated that he – wouldn't want to play anywhere else but the Broncos. He did say that a couple of years ago. He said he wanted to spend the rest of his career with the Broncos. So I think you'd make a good point. If they don't want to resign re him, maybe he does retire. I mean, I think he does have stuff left in the tank. I mean, he is a ex-Super Bowl MVP, which is very impressive for a defensive player. But yeah, if the Broncos don't resign him and he does not retire, I believe he'll go to the Seahawks. Uh, I think they need that guy who can rush the other teams, especially in their strong division. I think the Seahawks could use a pass rush because right now they do have a good, a semi-decent secondary. They just need that pass rush to help the secondary. So I believe that is a possibility. All right, going on to the TikTok dancer, Juju Smith-Schuster. Casey, what are your thoughts on him and his offseason? Oh, man, this guy is a character for sure. And <laughs> they're I could see him going back to the Steelers, but I could also see him going over to the Raiders, um, maybe link up with Derek Carr. I mean, it'd be a good kind of cute uh, uh, wide receiver option for him. Uh, so I could see him going there. He's a very interesting character, though, and I think he needs like a bright light. So maybe going there might help him out a little bit. But I don't know. He's It's kind of up in the air right now with him. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think that could be a good situation for him there. Noah, what are your thoughts on Juju? Yeah, obviously a very outstanding uh, personality he has. Uh, he's pretty fun to watch. It's, he's a funny guy as well, so I think he's all around. And, I mean, coming off of a 1,400-yard season, he's, he, sure is, he sure skyrocketed his market value. I mean, coming off of probably his best receiving yard season ever, it's, he's going to be really coveted, and everyone's going to want him. So I think, I think the Patriots would be a great landing spot for him. I feel like they have – the, the necessities for him, I feel like they could – that's something that the Patriots have been lacking, even with Cam Newton, um, is a personality. So I think maybe just something that would brighten up that team and bring a little more, a little more life into them is, is something that could happen. And one team I haven't been talking about this whole time that could pick up any of these guys is the New York Jets. Now, these guys are going into a complete rebuild of the team – which could result in quite quite a contendable team, let's be honest. Uh, big names like Aaron Jones talked about going to the New York Jets. Uh, other players, who, namely Juju, could also go. Uh, so I think if, if the Jets somehow pull a quarterback out of somewhere um, and kind of figure out that whole situation, that team could really be a landing spot for him. But yeah, he's, he, he's got a couple of good options as teams to go, but mostly I would, I would like to see him stay with the Steelers. I think... He showed a fantastic season with them. Uh, they had a really strong start. Uh, he was one of those big guys that was catching a lot of balls, a lot of a lot of key plays. So, yeah, I think it's a good thing for him, no matter where he goes. Yeah, and I think you make a good point about the Jets. If they get a quarterback, there could be a, a lot of free agents who want to sign there if they can find their guy because they have a lot of cap space and they can sign a lot of people. I have Juju going to the Chargers. I think – Justin Herbert getting a second target could be very interesting. They do have just enough cap space to get him, um, especially with Justin Herbert's rookie contract. They can afford more players, so I think that could be cool. I think Juju's not necessarily a veteran, but he does have years under under his belt, so I do believe that could go well. Uh, the second team I have getting is the Arizona Cardinals. I believe that besides DeAndre Hopkins, they need a good second 
uh, second target, especially since Larry Fitzgerald is probably retiring this year. So I think that second target would just help that team a lot. Uh, this is your first part of the double-double, and this is the podcast version. Thank you very much. All right, guys, this is our part two of the double-double podcast edition. I am your host, Connor Schritzma, along with my amazing co-host, Noah Dinkin, and we are also joined by a very special guest, Brendan. How are you doing today, Brendan? I'm doing good. Thank you guys for having me. All right, Brendan. So today we are going to start off with the NBA. We are going to talk about key players like Miles Turner, Jordan Clarkson, Fred Van Vliet, and the Curry brothers. First off, Miles Turner. What are your thoughts on his recent performances? I mean, it's quite interesting to see coming from yet another uh, big man in the league. This So far, this season has kind of been defined by the big man. You look at the MVP race, uh, Embiid is a front runner. Uh, Nikola Jokic is in there too. So it's really nice to see. Um, I think this Pacers team has a lot of potential. I think that in an Eastern conference that's gotten uh, a little bit tougher uh, over the past year, I think that um, they are sort of, uh, there's a lot of room for either whether they can be a top five seed or they can miss the playoffs entirely. So to see him be able to come out and uh, be the best player he can be is really something quite special. Yeah. And I think you make a great point there about Miles Turner and the whole like division of how the Pacers can potentially either get in the playoffs or they can completely miss it. Like you said, it just varies like that. Uh, I believe Miles Turner has a great young team around him. You got TJ Warren, who is popping off in the bubble last year, putting up insane numbers. And you also have, you know, key player, key players like um, Malcolm Brogdon, who is also a really good young talent who can hit the three ball. Noah, what are your thoughts on Miles Turner? Yeah, of course, he's still a young guy, a young center coming up in the league. Uh, he's really shown a lot of defensive prowess, especially this season, averaging three and a half blocks so far, which is which is quite fantastic. But yeah, I, I think he fits his role quite perfectly. Uh, he gets averaging 13 points and six rebounds with that three and a half blocks. Uh, that's a really good stat line for a starting center. Uh, that means he comes out, he does his job. Uh, and it doesn't show in the stats, but he really has been doing a fantastic job on the defensive side as well. Uh, just watching his game, you can tell that 13-6 and three and a half blocks goes a really long way. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if he further improves this season in some of those statistics as well. But yeah, he's just a fantastic player for them right now. He's fitting in perfectly for the team. Yeah, and I agree with you. He's a up-and-comer in the league for sure. And I think it is interesting to note that he is shooting 33% from the three, which is not terrible for a big man considering he was not considered or considered a strong shooting prospect. Um, so, Brendan, do you think Miles Turner has, like, a long-term position with the Pacers? It's hard to say. I feel that centers and, you know, just overall forwards in the league get moved around a lot faster, especially when it comes to, to age. You know, he's still a young guy, but uh, the league likes to move on to the, the newer, newer kids very quickly. Um, so, even if it's not with the Pacers, though, I do see him being with the Pacers for a good amount of time. He's still going to have a spot in the league. He's still going to be a starter no matter where he goes. And I think that's a great point with centers. They are always on the move. If they don't produce one year, they could possibly be traded. I mean, that's just how the league works. Noah, do you think Miles Turner has a future with the Pacers? Yeah, I think he's shown a really strong season so far, but I think something that's going to have to happen the, the most for him is he's going to really have to staple himself as a key big man in the league. Uh, I feel like that's, as a center, like Brendan was talking about, these big guys get moved around a lot. So making sure you're a staple in the league and one of those big guys that's known for being very consistent with your rebounding, your points, your blocks, just, just an overall dominant guy, uh, I think is really key in, in being part of a team for a long time as a big man. So I think if anything, in these next couple of seasons, he's definitely going to have to improve a little bit, but he's, he's, on, he's on his way. He's on a good way to possibly becoming one of those really reliable big guys. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think potentially, not exactly, but he could become like a Rudy Gobert player, a player who is just known for his defense and is that staple center for the team. All right, moving on to players who, are, who have the high hand in the league, Jordan Clarkson, Utah, Utah Jazz point guard. What are your thoughts on him, Brendan? Uh, a lot of the same things can be said about a lot of these players. Um, uh, he's been around the league for a good amount of time as well. Um, and we saw his days on numerous teams back when the Lakers, so on and so forth, where um, he started to get a little bit overrated to some. 
didn't really uh, didn't really show himself a start as a starter. But I think over time in the league, just understanding his role, he's been able to you know find the right spot for him. And I think that uh, he's certainly made himself uh, a case for being a real real player. Yeah, and I think you definitely hit it on the head there. He is a real player. I think he is more of a role player than say a superstar. I mean, he just plays his role and he does it well, and he's especially doing that well right now. Like. It's very interesting to see that the guard combo they have in Utah right now with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. I mean, not a lot of length there at the guard position, but they are all very talented and they can do multiple things very well. Noah, what are your thoughts on Jordan Clarkson right now? Yeah, I think we obviously know that Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are two of the more key players in that team. But Jordan Clarkson makes sure you know that he's doing his his job on the team Perfectly. Uh, with Only gets 25 minutes a game, but usually gets around 18, 4, and 2 with those minutes uh, consistently. And, I mean, you really can't be mad at him for that. Uh, whenever Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell might need a break, he comes in, pretty much fills that role, if not exceeds sometimes, uh, and just kind of keeps the team moving. Uh, and I think he, he plays well with them as well. So I think he was just a great addition for the Jazz, and, I mean, it obviously is showing. Uh, they've got a fantastic record so far. So it'll be interesting to see how he'll perform when the Jazz make the playoffs because I really can't see them missing it at this point. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I mean, they're looking like a very strong team. And when they signed Jordan Clarkson, I didn't think he was going to have that big of a role in the team, but I was proven wrong. He is second in scoring on the whole team right now with 17.7 points a game. And I think that is pretty impressive considering his like careers in Cleveland where he wasn't that big of – he didn't play that large of a role in the team. All right, moving on, we got the Raptors and Fred Van Vliet. What are your thoughts on this, Noah? Yeah, so Fred Van D, obviously, he's going to have to fill quite a big role uh, after that championship-winning team uh, and the loss of Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he really had to step up and kind of show that he was another another veteran in the league almost now that has a lot of experience. And he, yeah, he's not a veteran, my bad. 26 years of age. This guy is still a very evolving guard. Uh, he's really going to be able to show his stuff for the Raptors, I think, in these next couple of years especially. Uh, his role is going to increase, obviously. Uh, and especially in these last 10, we've seen him really get back into his former self, especially that finals version of himself. He's 40% he's from three, 43% from the field, with almost 95% from free throw. So with 21 points over these last 10 games, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really showing that he can be a big part of this team and make sure that they stay in maybe a couple of these close games. So, yeah, he's been fantastic for them so far this season. Yeah, I mean, I... I really enjoy watching them play along with Kyle Lowry. They're not like the most athletic guys or littler guys, but I enjoy, they both play with a great fire that I love seeing. And he is averaging, like you said, 19.8 points a game, which is impressive when you have kind of like two starting point guards almost. I mean, you got to share the rock. And uh, so what are your thoughts on this, Brendan? Yeah, I agree. It's been very impressive to see. And like you said, he's definitely had to step up. The Raptors team that won the championship a few years ago is looks entirely different now. I mean, obviously, Kawhi Leonard's gone. Danny Green was a part of that team. You look at this past offseason where they lost both Marcus Gasol and Sergi Baca, so that also, they also are lacking in size as well. Um, and when they went out and made sure to re-sign him, they gave him the biggest contract ever of an, of an undrafted player at four years, $85 million. I think that's absolutely worth it for what you've been able to get from him. Obviously, he's him not being drafted. He's not the star that a lot of these players that we've, we've talked about so far are. But I don't know, it's, just, it's really cool to see. And I think that, you know, given that he's only six foot, and he was undrafted. I think it's, it's, it's a really cool story to see that he's been able to do so well. Yeah. And I like the whole Raptors team because they're, you know, they're kind of quiet. Don't make a lot of noise. They're really underrated in my opinion. Uh, Spicy P love the guy. Um, not to be unfair to him, but I believe he's like a generic Giannis. I mean, he's still really good, believe me, but he's not quite Giannis's caliber. Do you think they need a fourth star, Brendan? If they intend to go back to the finals, then I think they're definitely going to need one more piece. You look at, obviously, the Eastern Conference is crazy right now. Of course, the Bucks are always going to be there in the regular season. The Nets, they're still figuring things out, but I think they're going to be there when it comes down to the end. Uh, the, the Celtics have a lot of young talent. They've certainly got a, uh, the right amount of stars that can take them all the way. So, you know, not only given the fact that they're maybe not are as talented as those teams, but they're also playing the entire season in Tampa Bay. They're not even in Toronto where they're, where they're used to playing. So that's just yet another hurdle that they're going to have to face for this year. Yeah. And I didn't even think about that. That's a huge hurdle right there. Never having home court advantage that they're, 
never like close to where their homes are. So that's a big thing. Noah, do you think they need a fourth piece in order to contend like they did in 2019? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think they pretty much showed that when they do have that fourth piece, they can really make it happen. I mean, obviously winning the finals uh, when they do have that fourth piece is, is a great show of what might happen if they do achieve another big star. Uh, but I mean, looking at the roster, there's a couple of these guys that could really come up and kind of kind of take on that role. Maybe not fully, but maybe maybe one, maybe two or three guys kind of collectively uh, forming one star's, you know, workload and kind of showing that that team really is still good. Uh, I think Norman Powell is a big name to talk about. Uh, over these past few seasons, he's really been improving from the kind of player he once was. But yeah, I think if we see any of these guys on the roster kind of prove to be that fourth star, or if they get someone else uh, from another team that is that fourth star and fits that slot perfectly, that this team really could be one that goes back to the finals. I mean, they've shown it before, so why couldn't they do it again? Yeah, and I think you make great points. Norman Powell is a really good player. So if they do get a fourth piece, he could, if he's their fifth piece, that's, that's pretty outstanding. That would be a really hard team to beat. Okay, going on to the Curry brothers. They are both having an absolute show in the NBA right now. We are going to start off with the older brother, Steph Curry. Brennan, what's a thought on the best shooter in history? I mean, you said it right there, best shooter in history. I think at this point, it's undisputed, just what insane circuit shots he's able to hit and still able to hit uh, given all these years in the league. You know, we recently just saw him pass uh, Reggie Miller for second all time for three pointers. He's going to catch Ray Allen some point soon in his career. It's, 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 it's quite remarkable how he's been able to change the game. I mean, not only a few years ago, you know, the game was a lot more centered around two point shots and, you know, getting only quick wide open threes. Now you can pretty much just, you know, shoot it from anywhere. Uh, guys like like Steph, um, they're just it, – it's kind of hard to say how they've really been able to do this because it's you look at the shots that he takes, it's like how is, how is it even possible that they're getting somewhat close, let alone they're actually going in. Um, so I think he's changed a lot of the game. Uh, for a lot of people, we see it a lot in younger guys like Trey Young is doing a lot of the same thing, just pulling up from the logo. We see that with Dame Lillard all the time. It's you know I think Steph really pioneered that. And I think you're right there. He's a revolutionary revolutionary player. You can see college athletes and high school athletes will be on a fast break. And sometimes now they'll go to the corner to shoot a three, something you would not have seen, say, 10 years ago. I mean, it truly is becoming a three-point game. And Steph did pioneer that. Uh, I think it's interesting that he is having very close stats to his MVP season in 2016. He's averaging 30 points a game right now, which is, you know, pretty insane. But you do have to consider the fact that he is, you know, like their main target. Clay Thompson's not there. KD left. So he is the one taking the majority of the shots. Uh, going back to, you know, Curry, Steph Curry, obviously, Noah, what are your thoughts on his performances? Yeah, great that you bring that up, Connor, because I am, when it comes down to the name of the actual title, most valuable player, right now he is showing that he is the most valuable player on any team in the league right now. Uh, especially, and he's shown that it's not just the beginning of the season thing. As even over these last 10 games that he's played, he's averaging 52% from three on 33 points average. I mean, this guy is incredible. Uh, with, with two of his highest scoring games coming this season, especially, he's really put a kind of beaten and battered down Warriors team on his back and kind of bolstered them to their record that they have right now. I mean, they had guys like Kelly Oubre coming in who they thought were going to carry more of that workload and who have not shown to be able to do that. So with Steph Curry kind of stepping up and playing that MVP role almost on the, on the Warriors, uh, it's really nice to see. And yeah, I think he's a humongous sleeper for that MVP award at the end of the season. Yeah, I think you're exactly right there. He is the most valuable player. He might not have the best stat line, which his stat line is still amazing, but he is carrying the team, like quite literally carrying the team. I mean, without him, they'd I believe that they'd be last in the division without a doubt. I mean, Kelly Oubre, like you said, not doing what expected. Their draft, James Wiseman, I believe it is. Yeah, he has not been doing what people thought he would be doing. I mean, not very many rebounds, not even close to over eight. I mean, he's. I think he's at six right now, so that's obviously not what you want. Brendan, what do you think of his brother, Seth Curry? I mean, it, it's crazy how still underrated his little brother, Seth, is. It's He's doing things that, you know, you may even be able to say that his older brother isn't even doing. I think um, that trade that the Sixers did to get him is probably the best trade of the entire offseason. 
looking at last year, the thing that they really didn't have anything of was shooting. They were they were all mainly a paint uh, focused uh, team, and they the, their one issue was that they couldn't shoot the ball. And now getting a Curry brother it, for what they were able to give up is is insane. And he's certainly been able to show up. Um, he has an insane percentage from three. He has an extremely insane percentage from the free throw line at this point in the season. Uh, I just, it's, um, you know, looking at both the brothers, I think you, a lot of people would obviously take Steph, but not too far behind his brother. He, he I think his brother is still has a lot of room to improve and he's, he's going to reach the mark of his older brother sometime soon. Yeah. And like you said, he kind of started later in his career, like his people noticing him. I mean, he is 30 years old, so, you know, he, he might have like five to six years left, but I think he is a very good shooter and severely underrated. I think all the noise goes towards Steph and no one really recognizes what Seth is doing. Uh, Noah, going to you, do you think Seth is, you know, the key to the 76ers' success? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to a lot of these teams in the NBA, uh, we see a lot of big names that kind of dominate the team's uh, billboard. They kind of cover everything. They're, they're the main guy. But it's guys like Seth Perry that you're really going to need when you're going into the playoffs. I mean, that's just ridiculous. 50% from the field, 50% from three, and 100 from the free throw line. I mean, that consistency is just incredible. Uh, while he may only be averaging just 13 points on the season, I mean, he's shown that when he gets that ball, he can put it in the net pretty much half the time. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if they maybe even up his workload in these next couple of games, if, if they need it especially. But, yeah, I feel like since we're – if we see the 76ers team in the playoffs, I'd really like to see them use Seth Curry a little more. Almost like they've been saving him the rest of the season and just kind of let him explode maybe in the playoffs or something. But yeah, he's shown that he can he can perform just like his big brother. So I think it's it'll be interesting to see how he kind of evolves through these next couple of games and into the postseason. Yeah, and I think you make a great point. I mean, clearly shooting is in the Curry's genes. The dad, great shooter, both brothers phenomenal shooters I think he's very much benefiting the offense of the 76ers I mean like you said he is expanding the floor he is on the three-point line which allows Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to get inside and then when they start to focus on Joel Embiid and Simmons then he can go to the three-point line and just make wide open threes like you said he's hitting half of the time which is impressive even though he's only averaging 13 points a game nonetheless he is playing his role that is what they brought him there to do and he is doing it very well all right, going on to players who are not doing so hot. Our first is Kelly Oubre of the Golden State Warriors. Brendan, your thoughts on Kelly Oubre? I think it's a work in progress. I think we're finally starting to see some improvement out of him. It also was a tough start. How he started off something like one for 18 from three. Um, I think when the Warriors went out to get him, uh, they also his contract isn't that high, but because it puts them over the luxury tax, it costs them like $80 million just to have this one player. So they expect a lot out of him. I think he did some great things um, out in Phoenix, um, but I think it's still a work in progress. Knowing that Clay Thompson went down, I think that they knew that they needed to get an extra piece to sort of attempt to fill his shoes. Obviously, Kelly Ray would never be able to, f to fill um, Clay's shoes, but you at least have someone there who can be a presence. And I think that over time, whether or not he's there long-term or not, we'll, we'll end up seeing, I think he's going to be able to do some great things. Um, he started off the season uh, a little bit soft, but he, he's fresh off a 40-point game against the Mavericks. He had a 24-point game against the Spurs a few, about a week or so back. So um, I think that there is a lot of potential at Kelly Oubre. I think you're right there too, because he is getting off a meniscus injury, which he suffered in Phoenix. So I think as he has more recovery time from that, he will be performing better and more like he did with his sons playing that key role at the small forward position. Going over to you, Noah, what are your thoughts on Kelly Oubre? Yeah, obviously Kelly coming over from the Phoenix Suns was super interesting. Uh, he was going to have to fill Clay's role, Clay's role pretty much, honestly. Um, and he hasn't, but let's be honest, like Brendan said, it's tough to, to fill Clay's role. I mean, he's, he's basically been that number two guy for the Golden State Warriors to Steph for the past couple of years now. So, I mean, yeah, he came in and he was, he was put under a lot of pressure. And I mean, to be honest, recently, especially over his last couple of games, he's really been improving. Uh, he's had most recently, he's been at about 45% from three. Uh, he's been averaging up more points, uh, I think 18 over 50 that he over the 14 that he's averaging all season but I think he's kind of just going to have to take some time to kind of slow down and realize he, he's just like any other basketball player and he needs to kind of 
make sure he finds a comfortable place in that team and just kind of settle down, make sure he gets the shots that he wants and the shots that he can take and knows that he can make. And just, yeah, but yeah, he's, he's been underperforming a little bit so far, but I was kind of excited to hear when he was going to go to the Thunder, and I was really upset when that fell through. So I'm still excited for him being on the Golden State Warriors uh, to see where he goes from here. Yeah, and I think you made a great point. I mean, he is a role player. That's what they brought him in to do. He does play his role. Um, I He never had a really super dominant stat line in any category, so I don't know why people are terribly upset with his stat line. It's not like he's a 20-point a game player. I mean, that's throughout his career. He's not really that. So I think he just plays his role really well. And I think that's what he should focus on doing. Uh, going to another player who has not been the hottest lately, Jamal Murray. Brendan, your thoughts on Jamal Murray? I think coming out of the bubble and seeing the insane things that he was able to do uh, in a new environment, I think a lot of people were had, had a lot of high expectations for this guy. Uh, I mean, you look at his stats right now this year, he's averaging around the same amount of points uh, as he did in the past few years at 18.3. So I think uh, he's in a position to where uh, Nikola Jokic is clearly the star of that team. He's the one who runs the, that team's entire offense and defense. Um, So I think it's kind of a process for Murray to try and figure out how he can be the sort of second role uh, to a, to a big man like that. Obviously they had great chemistry before, but now it's the Joker that's, that's running the show. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see. Uh, I think that it's overall this, this season with there being a lot, at least some, or either no fans or at least uh, very little fans. It's, it's about a lot different for a lot of people. I think that Murray is just in a case of him trying to, to figure it out again after him going, him going off in the bubble. Um, but yeah, I think that he's, he's had a have to, take a lot more of the load considering a lot of that they lost in free agency. Yeah. And I think you made a great point about it being Jokic's team. I mean, it is his team. So Murray kind of has to navigate around that. He was going off in the bubble. He did have two 50 point games versus the jazz. And in that game seven versus the Clippers, he was the deciding factor in that game, which sent the Clippers out of the playoffs. So I think as a Nuggets fan, you got to give him time to develop. Um, Noah, going over to you, do you think Jamal Murray is obviously their second best player, but do you think he is a key to their success? Yeah, I think after seeing what he can do under some pressure in the bubble, I think that was a really big say for his character as a player. Um, but yeah, I think some, some of the things he's going to have to work on in these next few seasons, uh, and especially this season, are consistency issues. I think that's his biggest, his biggest flaw. Um, obviously, sometimes he is known to go off and sometimes he just kind of disappears into the game. Um, and I think that's something that he's really going to need to work on to show that he can be that number two to Jokic, because obviously Jokic having a, another fantastic season, arguably the front runner for MVP, uh, it puts a lot of stress on Jamal because he has to show that he's still the player that he was in the bubble. So I think it's just going to take some time for him to kind of get used to, to kind of having to back up Jokic. Uh, but what he really needs to kind of figure out is his consistency and making sure he's able to, to score well each game. And, and yeah, that's, that's just his overall biggest flaw. And I, I'm, I'd be really interested to see how he kind of works that one out in the next couple of seasons. And I think, like you say, consistency is huge. He obviously had a lot of confidence in the bubble. I mean, people were making memes about him. There's a bunch of stuff, a lot of noise surrounding him. And I think he enjoyed it because he was playing up to that um, status. All right, going to our last player who has not been playing as good as he usually does, Russell Westbrook. Brendan, what are your feelings on Russell Westbrook right now? I think that the Wizards are slightly regretting that trade, away, giving away John Wall and a first-round pick in order to get him. Obviously, that relationship didn't seem like it was going to be working out well. It's clear that they were both both sides wanted to part ways. And, you know, Getting Russell Westbrook for John Wall, it's, you, you can see that as sort of a one-to-one trade given their their talent and their their ability, just being able to, to get out on the fast break. Um, but I think it's just been it's been a season tormented by minor injuries for Westbrook. He's been he's been on and off all season. Sometimes to take him out out of the court, uh, so it, it's been tough for him. Also, I think the drama surrounding the Wizards in general and everyone's saying that Bradley Beal should get out of there. I think that's taken a toll on him now. Um, him sort of being uh confused on you know what's going to happen tomorrow maybe out of nowhere they find a trade for him i don't think they will i think beal's going to be there be there to stay um but i think it's it's tough him already 
being on his third team in the past third, three years, he was obviously in Houston for only a year with James Harden. That didn't work out. And I think it's just him trying to figure out how he can still be a, a right-hand man to another star. Yeah, and I think I feel bad for Russell Westbrook because he did go into the situation, and now that Bradley Beal might get traded, he would be by himself. And besides Bradley Beal and himself, there's there's pretty much no talent on this team, in my opinion. They have, like, zero hope. I mean, it's it's a really bleak right now. Uh, Noah, what, Noah, what are your thoughts on Russell Westbrook and his situation? Yeah, it's tough because uh, he's obviously getting to be quite quite old now. I mean, 32 is, is a decent age in the NBA. So I think he's kind of struggling with transferring his game over a bit. Um, obviously, all of his years at OKC were known for – he was known for his explosive play uh, his and his extremely strong moves. And I think now that he's getting a little older, he may be losing those a little bit. And he's maybe maybe having some struggles trying to figure out how he can improve his game in other ways. Because, uh, I mean, if you look at his stats so far this season, averaging around 20 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, he's basically just doing a, a level lower of the, of the work that he used to do on the Thunder. So, yeah, it's, it's just tough to see such an explosive player kind of almost lose his spirit for the game, it seems. Uh, and especially, I think, with Bradley Beal going, if, if Russell Westbrook was left to be on that team all alone, it, it would kind of turn out to be another Oklahoma City situation where he was the last big star on a team and kind of, just had to keep hold the team together almost and keep them pushing and keep, keep them having a chance. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how he does with Bradley Beal for the rest of this season, or if Bradley Beal decides to leave, it'll be interesting to see how he does alone. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just a tough scene though, watching him kind of fade away into nothingness almost when he goes to the Wizards. Yeah, I think you're right. It's really sad seeing Russell whisper because he was always my favorite player and him just losing his athleticism, not completely, but he doesn't have the power and strength like he used to. It's just sad to see, and it seems like he has less of a fire than he's played with in the past, so it's just overall sad to see. All right, moving over to soccer, we got Liverpool. Noah, you want to take us away with that? Yeah, so Liverpool, obviously one of the best teams in the Premier League as of last season. Uh, they did fantastic, won the Premier League, and uh, in, in kind of a troublesome time, I mean – Let's let's hope people don't discount this this championship win uh, as the COVID championship, which seems to be getting designated to things like the Lakers championship win and other stuff. But yeah, I think Liverpool they've been top, they were top of the league, and this season their their main fall has been due to injuries. Now there are quite a few injuries on the the on Liverpool. Uh, it's just an absolutely ridiculous list to look at. Big names like Virgil Van Dyke. Uh, new signing Tiago has also become a player that that recently got injured, and it sucks because they've almost had to resort to signing players from other good teams to kind of make sure their backline holds up. Uh, and obviously, these past couple of games have been quite tough to watch. A four-one loss at home is always tough, and then today's three-one loss against Leicester, who is the team above them. Uh, it's ju it's just a really tough scene to be in. So, Brendan, what do you think of Liverpool and what's kind of contributed most to their downfall, downfall do you believe? I think that, like in, all, in most sports, I think the idea of COVID sort of coming in and it disrupting the previous season plays a big role because uh, I haven't followed too much on the Premier League, but as far as I'm aware, but when COVID hit, they were like running away with, with the Premier League, am I, am I right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of them um, – trying to follow expectations uh COVID just wreak havoc on just scheduling in, in general I think if you look at uh any le any league any sport you see that out of nowhere maybe five minutes before tip off before the start of the match or anything you know someone comes down with COVID and you have to scrap everything and it, it can set you back uh days weeks you know etc so it's tough to see I think that uh once everything starts getting back to normal I think they'll be back they'll bounce back because Every time I hear their name, I usually hear good things. Right, and it's just it's tough to see a team fall so ill with injuries. Uh, a lot of key defensive players have really gone down. Um, and overall, I think something that they lost this season was their spirit. You know, of course, a lot of people call it the championship slump. You win one, you're high, you're so excited about it, and you kind of go into a slump that next season, which is unfortunately seeming what it might be. But really, we can't put that all on that. Uh, of course, injuries and other issues with the team have, have been causing a lot of that. But, Connor, what do you think of this downfall of Liverpool? I definitely think the blame of this is 
injuries. They've suffered so many injuries, like you said, with Virgil van Dyke. I mean, that's a key defensive player who has great, also has great passing and great headers. I mean, I think that's a key injury there. Uh, I've read that they've had 10 different back four combinations for their defensive players. So obviously they have no consistency on their defensive side of the ball. So I think overall, I just think injury is what did them in. Right. And of course, losing spirit, they, they had a, I believe it was a 68 game home winning streak uh, that they also lost this season, which is a bit unfortunate. Uh, that's obviously going to be a shock to you. I mean, that's the first time they've lost at home in about two and a half seasons, which is absolutely ridiculous. So of course, something like that's going to give you a big shock and kind of jolt you and maybe worry you a bit for the rest of the season. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really just a tough kind of situation to be in. So, yep, that's going to wrap up our weekend edition of the Double Double. Um, Connor, thank you for being host. Thank you. Uh, Brendan, thank you for joining us. This was a fantastic time. And we will see you guys next week.